And that's why I think once you hear, once you talk to myself, Parker, Corey, we're not talking about the same things that most sponsors are talking about. You know, what are the three ways to, to raise capital? I, what, you know what I'm doing? I'm bringing actual deals and I'm focusing on that. I know everybody says, you know, you can't, you know, you can't just rely on deals to attract money. But in this market, if you've got really good deals and they're actually valued the right way and you, you've got a track record, money is attracted to that right now. Now, that might shift in five, 10 years. I don't know. I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now, I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cash Flow. Welcome in Contrarian Cash Flow. Today, I've got Logan Freeman with me. Logan, what is going on, my man? Man, coming off, we were just talking about this, but coming off my four-year wedding anniversary and Looking back, like I mentioned to you, four years, man, it just goes by so fast. Four years, two kids, business. I mean, so much has changed, but uh, been so blessed and very excited for the future. So I- I'm doing great, man. I'm filling up. You can see that I got a lot of energy, got a lot of blood flowing, did my Wim Hof breathing this morning, man. I just feel good, feeling really good. I mean, you got me sitting up in the chair a little bit higher, you know, so yeah. I'm, I'm ready to go, man. I got to bring my A game. I know I'm feeling that energy. So those folks that don't know. So Logan is a former football star, real estate investor, master motivator, of course, above all else, a loving father and husband, as he just alluded to. So, uh, you know, I guess just short term, what have you been working on most recently here, Logan? Yeah, you know, this is interesting, John. We've, you know, when you get started in a new entrepreneurial venture, it's driving revenue, driving revenue, driving revenue, which is important. It's very important. But you drive revenue to a point where then you have to sustain and you have to be able to fulfill. And uh, so we've been building a business, you know, for the last six months, I've been a a business builder, which is very exciting. You know, I took a a most recent personality assessment from Ray Dalio, highly recommend it. It's called Principles by You or Principles You, but he basically had some of the best guys in the, in the field. Adam Grant was in there and they took, you know, all of their, their findings and it's, it's, it's put into this long test. It takes some time. But one of the ones that popped up, man, was coach. And uh, that was my top archetype was, was a coach. And I look back for the last six to eight months as we've been building this business, I've really enjoyed, you know, imparting some advice on, on my employees and uh, my partners. And I love to, to have that input going in. So that's been super exciting and using leveragers, man. I tell you what, I think we've texted about this a little bit. But at the end of the day, knowing that the business is moving forward, things are getting done, and it's not, the buck does not stop with me every single day for every single thing. It is a weight lifting off of my shoulder that I have not felt in a long time. So you have to do it the right way. You got to get the right people uh, and you got to empower them. But pouring into those people from all of these books, from all the podcasts, people are starting to, to say that are really close to me. Now, would you just sit down with me for you know 45 to 60 minutes? I just want to hear how you plan your day. I want to hear how you deal with mental stress, you know, all these different things. And all these books are coming to fruition, man. My wife always used to give me hell for, for reading all these books all the time. She's like, what are you doing with all of those? You know, and, and now it's all like coming out. I'm like, holy cow, I read this book five years ago and I go pull it off the shelf and I'm like, boom, here's, here's the answer that you're looking for. And people just are really appreciating that. So it's kind of the intangibles of a business that we're, we're building. I'm really enjoying empowering people and seeing people kind of really step out of mediocrity and, and raise their, their levels of empowerment. It's, it's one of the most fulfilling things. And then obviously doing that with my children as well has been a lot of fun. No, absolutely. Well, I mean, you're already getting into the motivational side of it, but I think the, your point around the coaching is, is powerful, right? Because yeah. it's kind of more inception, right? You want, you want your team and you want those around you to kind of come to the conclusion on their own, right? Just telling them how to do something is great, but ultimately to your point, that doesn't get you away from the delegation, right? You want them to be empowered to actually take on the task and take it through, you know, success and completion through their yes. own volition, not just, Hey, Logan said, do this, this, and this. So no, I, three, I love that, man. Three levels of delegation guys. It's there's directive meaning, Hey, go to that restaurant across the street and give me that chalupa. There's objective. Hey, I'm hungry. Go get some lunch. And then there's leadership that says, Hey, 
we all need some food, go make it happen. You know, so it, at the end of the day, there's three levels of, of uh, delegation that you have to understand where people are at on that spectrum. And once you do, I mean, obviously you want to be in the leadership role all the time, but there's just some folks that just are going to take longer to get there. Uh, understanding that is the key to delegation. And that's what I've been really focused on understanding with each one of the people uh, that we're working with now. Yeah. Well, going back to my leadership training days, you know, the, the readiness level, right. Of the counterpart, yeah. right. You know, what's their readiness level and what's their competence to complete the task. Right. So That's hopefully exactly most right. of the people you're working with, you don't have to just, you know, direct them to go get the chalupa, but you know, Hey, if, if you're really <laughs> hungry and you got, you know, that's what you're craving, you know, you just got to make it happen. So well, let's, let's dive into your journey. So, I mean, sure. like, obviously you talked about all the books, the last four years have been a whirlwind, but there was so much more even before yeah. that. So, so what kind of set you on this meteoric rise and got you to where you are today? Yeah. You know, I go back to another book that I read, Carol Dweck's mindset book. And I think we were all messaging about this on LinkedIn or something, but I, I think that where I grew up in Jefferson city, which is the capital of Missouri uh, is definitely more of a fixed mindset, meaning this is the way it's been done. This is the way it's going to be, you know, going forward. A growth mindset doesn't say if something can be done, it says, how can it be done? And that's super important when we're, when we're talking about parenting, but it's really important when it comes to mindset. I remember being on my 20 little 22 foot pontoon that I bought from my grandpa at the Lake of the Ozarks, taking my, and it had a 35 horsepower motor. So it didn't do much, but idle all, all, all along the ways. And if you brought a, a pontoon out there, it'd be at the bottom of the, of the lake. Now they've got yachts down there, but uh, that's a different conversation. Uh, but I remember driving that little pontoon and talk, and looking at the houses, you know, the brand new houses, the multifamily development. And I looked at my sister and my best friend at the time. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. I want to do that. And everybody just thought I was crazy, but I, it all started back when I was 14, man. You know, my mom worked two jobs and she taught me how to value uh, the dollar. And I remember I was making $5.15 an hour, 40 hours a week, making 200 bucks. After taxes, it was like one, 135. And uh, I was throwing hay on the back of a trailer and I was sweeping floors and doing dishes uh, when I was 14 years old. Watching her instilled a methodology or a mentality in me that said, hey, if you want something, you're gonna have to go work for it. Now, I'm not saying that that was the best way to do it, but it, it taught me uh, some work ethic to, to value a dollar, not just, you know, spin it. And if you don't have the money, don't go buy something. You know, my mom just did not do that. It was just like, look, we didn't have credit cards. It was a debit card. If there's not money in the account, you can't get it, you know? So don't live outside your means. And I really took that to heart. I had some great mentors. Uh, I was, you know, successful in, in collegiate athletes. So I played uh, football in college. And I, I would say I identified as an athlete all up until, you know, I was cut from the NFL. But you know, the, what got me there was just working hard. You know, I was on the Dean's list every single semester. I took that scholarship extremely, you know, you know seriously. And so I was a ESPN all academic, all American before I was an all American on the, on the football field. And I'm not a smart guy, man. I had to study. I had to read the books. I had to get in there and get deep on this stuff. And, you know, when I, when I got the opportunity to get picked up as an undrafted free agent, uh, with the Oakland Raiders, and I got cut uh, from their team, I had a big decision to make. And the, the decision was this, because the 49ers called and said, hey, we want to fly you out after I got cut. And there's only one cut left on the hard knock. So I really just had to show up and say, hey, I can, I can move around the football field and snap the football. But I said, no, I said, you know, I'm not interested in, in pursuing football anymore. That passion, that drive, that fire was not inside of me for football. I wanted to go create who I really truly was and not try to force something that was, you know, just kind of, uh, I would say handed to me. Yeah, I worked for it, but you know, I wanted to use my brain instead of my brawn to try to make some money. So I went back to school, man, I finished my master's program. But when I was finishing my master's program, I got a job because I had to pay for rent at my roach infested apartment complex. I had no front door. And so I had to drive an hour to this little town, make 250, 265 cold calls a day and drive back and go to school for four hours at night. I woke up at 3.30 in the morning. I lost 100 pounds in six months and I turned my car to the classroom on wheels. Jim Rome, Tony Robbins, Zig Ziglar, Lewis Howes, John Lee Dumas, you know, all of the guys in my ear all the time. It got me thinking differently. I dove back into my faith. I became the person that I wanted to become. And through that six months, my life changed. I, I said, this is my goal. I'm going to physically change my life. But mentally, the change that happened, you know, mentally was way more important. But another big turning point after I finished my master's program, I left that job because I didn't need it anymore. I already landed my new job. 
My dad, 6'3", 265, Native American, dunked the basketball, hit the golf club 300 yards, you know, name it. He was an athlete, couldn't walk up the stairs. I was like, man, something's not right. You know, my, my dad had battled drugs and alcohol addiction his whole life. And, you know, seven days later, that was in December, uh, he had a stroke. And uh, seven days after that, my dad was dead. And so that was like this huge turning point in my life that said, the choices that you decide to make will dictate the outcomes of your life. So you better make good ones every single day. And so, I mean, I get the goosebumps telling that story all the time because I still remember my dad, he had a stroke. He couldn't talk. I still remember him looking up at me and uh, just crying. And I felt that. I felt his pain that he wished he could have done something, but it was too late, you know? And I left my dad that day to drive to Ann Arbor, Michigan, or Champaign, Illinois, one of the two, I can't remember, to start my job. Six hours later, uh, the nursing home called and said, your dad died. I said, and our father over him, I left. Uh, six six hours later, he, he, was, he was gone. So, you know, I thought about that a lot, man. And I thought about who I wanted to be. And I didn't know who I wanted to be. I was battling a lot of demons, uh, a lot of preconceived notions of, of how the world should work. And, and But I also had this idea that I could be more, I could do more, and I could be the man that I wanted to be, but it was going to take sacrifice. And so, you know, I moved to Kansas City. I got a job with Jimmy John's, was there for 12 months, hit a glass ceiling, left there, went to a startup company, scaled them to get their first series of, of funding, put a product out there in the field with six biggest clients in the, in the country. It failed, left there after two and a half years, went to a job. Uh, that was safe, six-figure job, just newly married four years ago, 15 months in, fired, gone. What am I going to do? How am I going to live my life? Who am I going to be? Wife and my and, and, and God and these books lifted me up. And she said, hey, I know this is your time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support you in whatever you do. And that's when I started to say, okay, I appreciate that. I'm going. And I started two companies at that time. And that has morphed in to kind of what I am doing now. It was a little bit more of a convoluted journey these last four years, but that's kind of gets us up to, to the point of getting into real estate. So that's kind of the, the background, John. I mean, that's powerful. I mean, like you said, you got goosebumps. I mean, I know I've heard that, you know, some of the snippets of that story before, but it's just, yep. it's just so powerful. And so, I mean, just so many things to unpack. So you talked about your work ethic, but you also said, you know, you're not necessarily the smartest guy in the world, but I, you know, I guess that that's very humble, you know, coming from a, from an observer. Uh, but, you know, where did the motivation come to invest in the education and the personal yeah. development? Because, you know, physical labor, collegiate athletics, you know, those really lend themselves more to kind of, you know, that physical type of mentality right. and, and working. So, so where did this personal development and investment in yourself come from? It, it was the identity changed. I literally changed. I lost friends. My family was like, what are you doing? Who are you? I remember there was about six to eight months where I was finding who I was or creating that person. But in my mind, I can now go back and say, my identity literally changed. And here's where it changed from. And I'm glad you asked this question this way because I've never talked about this. But it was the fear of being mediocre and falling back into the same path that my father did. I think that's very ingrained in me. He did not, he, he grew up with 13 brothers and sisters on a one bedroom house on a cotton farm or a tobacco farm in North Carolina as a Native American. He did not have the same you know, ability to, to get out there and create for himself. Now, he did make certain choices, right? But that identity of knowing where my dad was and what happened to him, falling back into that was like the scariest thing that I could ever think of. I think I've been running from that for so long. Four years ago, I went on a retreat. I ran back into it, dealt with it, and then that is where that fire was. But I think when it started, the the love or the thirst for knowledge came from that fear of being uh, mediocre and and living a life that was that was useless. And so that's what drives me. I now understand that I have a higher purpose and I have children and a wife and all of these things. But at at first, when it was just me reading four books a week, you know, trying to get to to know who I was, that I think it was driven from you know, the fear of, of being something that I, I, I knew that was in my family that I wanted to run from. And that pain that I felt was so powerful, you know, that's what kind of lit that fire beneath my ass and said, man, you've got to do something different. And I know you don't know what, this is me talking to myself. I know you don't know what that is yet, 
But the one way that you can find out is spend time with good people and in good books. And that's what I did. And so that's now I'm getting to apply that uh, on a regular basis. But man, that's you just brought that out of me, man. I don't know if I've ever shared that, but that's that's kind of where my identity, I think, came from and and what burns bright in my heart, man. That's that's amazing. What's what's your recommendation to folks? I mean, so you talked about some really powerful relationships that were impacted by this journey that you were going to to find your identity. What's your recommendation for folks out there that? you know, it's, it's challenging. It's uncomfortable to potentially leave relationships, especially, you know, family relationships when they may not understand friendships, folks that you knew from high school, college, right. That you're like, Hey, this is somebody that I thought was going to be part of my life, but you know, based off the trajectory they're going versus where I want to go, it's not the same. So what's your recommendation for folks out there that are kind of in that, not necessarily mediocrity yet, but they can kind of see the writing on the wall that, Hey, you know, if we continue down this path, it's going to be the good enough, the mediocrity. Yeah. Well, you have to have a sense of belief in either a higher power or a sense of belief in yourself that is unwavering no matter what anybody says and what, no matter what anybody else is doing. Success, being the best version of yourself, is not about what you're willing to do. It's about will, what you're willing to give up. What are you willing to sacrifice to get there? And so I would say this to somebody who's in a pack you know, kind of going out and, and uh, watching the games and doing all of the stuff. It's fun, but you got you to gotta be stoic. You know, I heard this word or this quote. It was so, said something about, you know, we are born stoic, but we live Epicurean lives, right? I said that the wrong way. I know I did. But the, the thought is this. If you can delay gratification now, meaning you, you delay that pleasure, all of that stuff that, you know, you can go out and do and spend your money on and time on time is more important, by the way. And you know that if you do that right now, it's going to be better later. Man, I, I have got to a point where, you know, understanding that I would rather have tomorrow be better than today and being able to sacrifice for that is, is what drove me. And I was willing, right? I was willing to say, I'm going to need a new peer group. In the book, Living Your Best Year Ever, uh, it's a journal. And then there was the compound effect. Darren Hardy talked about that. I remember that might have been one of the first books I read because I saw him on Success Magazine, right? The, the publishing editor at the time. And I was like, well, I, you know, that's what I want is success. So let me read this. And who's Darren Hardy? So I got in his journal and had an audio tape in that as well. Uh, if you guys listening to this, a CD. It was this physical CD thing that you know you might not know anymore because there wasn't really YouTube at the time. But uh, I put the CD in, and it said, "If you go along this journey, you will lose your friends. If you want to be successful, you need to prepare for that." And then it gave some sort of like the the analogy of like lobsters being in a a bucket, and when they try to get out. The other ones literally cut their their legs off so they can't get out. It was just something like that. It was like they're going to pull you back and you have to realize that's going to be there. So I was willing to say, you know what? I'm going to have to have a new peer group. I have to build a new peer group. My family is going to take some time. I was ready to embrace that pain, delay the gratification and, and say this is something else is going to happen better in the future. It's not easy. It's not easy, but I, I think we've all heard that, you know, the five people that you spend your time with is kind of the sum of, of what you're going to be like. And I took that to heart and I spent most of my time with books and, and mentors and people playing at the higher level. But I, I met one of my buddies from, from college. He's, he's along the same path as me. He's a doctor now. Uh, and I went and saw him, got my neck all cracked in the right spot. I got my, my hips all aligned. I'm feeling good. Uh, but he's like, man, you remember back in college when we used to do this, this, and this. And I'm like, yeah, he had just gone to a wedding from one of his buddies and saw everybody from college. And he, his thread was the same. He said, you know, we're just in different places and we're headed in different directions. And once you can embrace that and be okay with that and know that that's going to happen, that's the moment that you will start looking at, at life and your relationships a little bit differently. I also had very frank conversations, right? And so I went up to people and said, guys, this is what I'm going to be doing. It might feel a little bit weird for you for a long time. If you're not into it, no problem. I'm happy to still hang out once a month, but going out every single night after work or doing that or this, and it's just not going to be, I appreciate the invites, but I'm not going to come. And people start getting the hints and, uh, and that was okay with me. So you have to be willing to, to kind of do that, but it's not an easy process, man, because that's your support. That's your support group. But if you start building a new one, you won't even want to be a part of that anymore. Uh, so you have to really put the value of the relationship on the table and say, am I willing to, to still, you know, stick this out 
and how much, right? And there's some good methodologies that Darren Hardy lays out in that book that I just implemented 100%. When I think kind of to your point, you know, compartmentalizing those relationships, not saying, you know, hey, we're, we're done, right? You know, yeah. hey, we're not friends anymore and, you know, we can hang out. But if they're just drinking buddies or you're watching the game with them every once in a while, that's fine, right? It's just like you talked you about that. the, exactly, the five closest relationships in your life. So kind of, you know, to build upon that, right? One thing that I'm extremely fortunate of, and I know you are too, right, is is our life partner, right? Yes. They're just, they're our biggest champion and one of our biggest motivators. And so kind of kind of talk through that, how how she's, you know, kind of how your relationship functions and, and how you guys just make each other the better versions of yourselves. So, you know, this is the biggest decision, you know, frankly, I think Naval Ravikant says in his, in one of his tweet storms is where you live, and who you choose to marry or be, you know, do life with, whatever, are two of the biggest uh, decisions you will ever make. And I always say, told T, up until this was funny this week, or maybe it was last week, I said, you know, you were the best sale that I ever made. You know, Darren Hardy in his book says this, you know, when you think about the woman, the man, whoever you want to be with, you need to build out what those qualities are. Are that would attract that person. Well, I was in the process of doing that when I met Taylor six years ago. I was nowhere near where I needed to be, but I embodied them with her and she pulled me up. She had a new standard. She had a new standard of love, a new standard of self-respect, a new standard of how you treated people, what you did on a regular basis. You know, all of these things that just pulled me up into this different stratosphere that I had never been a part of. And so that was extremely motivating as well how our relationship works, you know, we do a lot of, of talking and she's not really structured in regards to, you know, we used to do the journal together. She, she doesn't want to do that anymore. That's, that's fine. But at my first part of my relationship with her, I was trying to force all of that, you know, I was trying to force all of it in there and, and try to, you know, and have her do exactly what I was doing. Well, thankfully I've realized that empathy is extremely important and different approaches work better with different people. And so what I'll do now is every time that I have a new idea or uh, something that I've read, I'll just start doing it. And I won't say, I won't talk about where it came from or what idea it was or how it's going to happen, but I'll just start doing it. And the prime example is kind of like our, our parenting, you know, and, and I'm reading all these books about how to parent, how to talk so little kids listen and all this stuff. She doesn't want to know that there's a structured way to do it. So I just go do it. And she's like, Oh, wow. When you actually just, you know, acknowledged Isabella's feelings the other day and she stopped crying about something that worked really well. I was like, yeah, I don't know what happened there, but it was. Awesome. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> you know, you have to know your partner. Right. But I think that for us, it, it's rooted in our Catholic faith, you know, and so we really went deep together into making sure that we were on the same page in regards to what the higher purpose and higher meaning where we started there, how we get there is going to be up and down all around, which is fine. But we both know that, Hey, I'm trying to help you to get to heaven and you're trying to help me to get to heaven. Right. And we're trying to live as the best versions of ourselves. And so, you know, once we got that rooted in man, basically everything else, you know, kind of fell in line for us. Now I put in an, an enormous amount of time an effort towards making her feel special. I know what her love languages are. I try to be, you know, the guy that can turn off, you know, which I'm not as good at as I should be uh, and, and really be present, uh, especially with two young kids. But at the end of the day, I'm still learning that, you know, but she has never said, hey, you shouldn't do that or you can't do that. There was never a shouldn't or can't. She said, you might think about this a little bit differently, but there was never, you cannot do that. You shouldn't do that. I believe in you. And just last week, she said, I know you tell everybody that I was the best sale that you made, but I saw something different in you. I saw something that you were raw. You had some talent when I met you, but I was going to have to invest time, love, and energy into kind of bringing you where you needed to go. And I, I mean, that almost made me cry, man. I just, I was just incredible to hear that from her and, and, and her say that to me was just a, it was an awesome opportunity for us to really even come closer. So it's definitely a work in progress every single day, but uh, we're, we're definitely on the same page, which is important. No, absolutely. And I mean, I've, I've fought that battle myself, you know, kind of trying to, you know, implement different strategies or different, you know, we, we all have different risk tolerances or the way yep. that we work, or even as you alluded to love languages. And so I think it's just really understanding, you know, really how to influence the behavior, right? Just like I have, you know, idiosyncrasies yeah. that she's like, man, he's a real pain in the butt for this, you know, or whatever. Right. And so, you know, I just think it's so important that it's, you know, it's a, it's a, 
concerted effort, right. To kind of move towards a direction. Right. And it's so, yes. it's so awesome. You guys are so clear on, on where you want to go and, you know, yeah. ultimately being the best parents and spouses to one another. And ultimately that's, that's the tribe that, you know, that's the most important to all of Absolutely. us, you know, is, is our, is our family. So, yeah. well, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think like, I mean, all of this jammed in, but then really like the last 15 months, yeah. I mean, I mean, for lack of a better term, I mean, compression, right. Yes. I mean, you know, I mean, I've just right. been, has just been nuts. So kind of outline a little bit what that last 15 months has been like and, and how, you know, your experiences have really lended themselves to, to the amount of success that you've attained to this point. Yeah. Well, it's like that iceberg effect, I think, you know, and I posted something on LinkedIn the other day and, you know, an iceberg's got miles of ice underneath the water. You just see kind of that tip that's sticking out. And so I think there was, um, there was multiple factors that kind of created uh, this growth, but it was radical transparency with myself and radical self-awareness and being able to pivot that created this, I think, this hockey stick growth. And, and I say that because I did some deals. I did a lot of deals, actually. I tried to do everything myself. And then I realized, oh, my gosh, there's no way that I can do that. Uh, I've got to get people that can support me and are better at this part of the business than I am. And so, you know, frankly, I, I searched out that like uh, like it was crazy, like it was my job trying to I networked so much trying to find people that I felt comfortable with doing projects with. And and thankfully, I found that that paired with the opportunity of COVID-19 created a, a massive opportunity to look left when everybody was going right. And, and we did. We made a big bet on a lot of a lot of assets. We had investors that stepped up to the plate and helped us. And we built a business around this opportunity. But you'll hear these threads, uh, I think, throughout books. If you read biographies, it's like, how did you get started? Well, there was an opportunity in the marketplace that gave us that, that kind of ignite uh, the way that we could ignite this thing. And so we saw it. And I think Munger talks about this a lot. He's like, man, I sit and I read and I do all these things. But when I see that opportunity, we put everything in it, you know, because we don't know when it's going to be gone. So that was a part of, of how we we kind of had this hockey stick growth. Being in a market that we can still invest for, for cash flow, obviously awesome. You know, I mean, that's another whole, whole part of it was, was uh, being somewhere where you could actually invest. But then me being so involved in the brokerage community here and understanding where deals are, who's who's controlling them, gave me a level of insight to this market that it's just really difficult to have if you're not living in the place that you're at. All that paired with all of the books, all of the success work that I had done or personal and professional development, I had my family right, I had my faith right, had my fitness right, and then I put the other people around me and joined forces uh, to, to move that. And that's what, what's called kind of the Lollapalooza effect, is when you have all these big mental models or things that are kind of working, and they all come together at the same right time, that kind of pushes you up. Uh, and if you read Poor Charlie's Almanac, that's that's how he starts the book, is he's looking for ways to create this Lollapalooza effect where your inputs are not tied to the outputs. And so the inputs that I put into a business, they might create a thousand percent more than if somebody's out there shoveling or cutting the yard for an hour uh, and what they can they can earn or do. And so we had this Lollapalooza effect that kind of came to fruition uh, and we just capitalized on that. So that's I think that's the best way I could answer that question. Well, and I just love that point because opportunity is only great if you can actually take advantage of it. Right. That's you right. Know, and I think that I think that's to your point around COVID-19 hit. I mean, you had, you know, and you're, you're claiming good fortune in a market, but you had good for, you had the good, you were in the market and you had the aptitude to actually find and, and secure the assets. Right. Which right. in my mind is, is more skill and aptitude than, than luck. Right. You know, yeah. you, I mean, ultimately we create our own luck, but the big point was around, you're saying when people are looking left, you're looking right. Right. So, so one direction is going, you know, steadfast one way saying, Hey, there's a lot of risk right now. There's a lot of changes going on in the world. We don't know what the future holds. So what made you guys stand so strong with your convictions? It's easy to say it, you know, in retrospect and be like, Oh, well, geez, we knew this, this, and this, but at the time, you know, you've got to be like, Hey, we're 90% sure this is going to work, but there's still, you know, a little bit in the oh, yeah. back of your mind saying like, Hey, this could, this could actually, you know, go belly up. So what, what made you guys so confident that going against the, you know, the market was maybe the right move at the time? Intrinsic value. It has to be intrinsic value, meaning the assets we were going at were at, were priced at a value that was below their intrinsic value, meaning what the market will pay for something is one thing. The intrinsic value of what it's actually 
paying you on a regular basis, regardless of what's happening in the market, is a different value. And then having a discount off of that intrinsic value, knowing that I traded so many deals on the brokerage side at, at higher levels or, or the same and rents are, are, are moving in the right direction, gave us extreme confidence. Now, there was still a lot of, you know, hey, you know, this is, there is some perceived risk here. But then I went back to history, man, and you just look at uh, how commercial real estate and in particular multifamily has in this specific asset class has performed during other recessions and things like that. We also felt like, you know, COVID-19 was going to be here, but then it was going to be gone. And we're seeing that now. Now there's still some ripple effects, obviously, from a lot of the different standpoints. But when you think about investing and you have cash or you have investors that have cash, and it's compared to what? You can't just sit on it or it's going to go away, you know? And so, you know, we just saw intrinsic value in these assets that we knew the markets extremely well. We felt like they were priced accordingly uh, and there was less competition, which allowed us to go out and, and perform on those. Still a little bit of, of risk to be had there, but I think that the confidence that came from the operations, I mean, one of my partners took a company from 550 units to 5,700 units. He had already been through two you know, ups and downs in the market. So he'd been there before. So having the experience of being somewhere before and being able to rely on that and make calculated you know, risk, risk, I think, measurements was what allowed us to do that. Everybody talked about COVID pricing. Well, you know, if you didn't buy stuff in April or May, uh, maybe even March, you probably didn't get any, you know, uh, maybe June uh, a little bit. But we saw that opportunity, felt like it was good to to actually go capitalize on. And, you know, it's proving out to be a successful bet or investment thesis. You know, I could say there's a little bit of bets in there, but it was definitely a calculated bet. Well, and I love your point around intrinsic value, right? Because yeah. I think investing in general, there's so much FOMO, right? Regardless if it's multifamily, the stock market, cryptocurrency, whatever, right? There's this perceived risk of missing out, you know, not just the perceived risk of of getting into the investment. And so I think the intrinsic value, and I think that's why people are struggling so much with cryptocurrency right now, because it's hard to really understand intrinsic value. But if you look at the the uh, fundamentals and really what it is and what's going on in the world, you know, there are more similar, at least in my opinion, there are more similarities to, you know, your gold, your precious metals, your commodities, right? right? And so again, the intrinsic value is just what you and I assign to it, right? Or what the world assigns to the value, right? So if, you know, and, and I just love that point because if you're able to get a discount on the intrinsic value, then whatever the market does, you're insulated from from the outcome, Absolutely. right? Because even if the market tips to a substantial portion, you've already bought it, a, you know, at a number that's going to make sense to you. And so that's powerful. So, so you talked about networking and seeking out these partners, right? What, yes. was, what was that journey like? Because I think so many people think they need partners when they really don't. And, you know, some people really should get partners, but they don't seek them out. So, so why did you seek yeah. people to kind of build this group? And what was that process like? Well, I had been, you know, doing some projects by myself that, you know, cost me a lot of money and uh, time and effort and stress. Meaning I was putting some projects together that I was running from 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 the port first point all the way to the end, right? And doing everything in between. And man, I, I really took a step back after I got a couple of those deals taken care of. And I said, you know, I need to apply uh, the sweet spot methodology to commercial real estate. And I took it even a step further and, and went to the to the Ikigai model that the Japanese put together. But at the end of the day, it's the intersection of your, your greatest strength and your greatest passion. And in, in this business, you can find certain aspects that are in that intersection of that Venn diagram. That being said, I knew there was a demand for this type of product. I saw the educational wave happening through podcasts and through all the events and, and you know masterminds and all that. And I said, man, you know, I think that there's a perfect storm that the market's already primed to do this. I just need to go figure out how the operations work. And so I was, you know, allergic to operations for so long. And I realized that, man, I could find folks that have either been doing operations or love the the operations piece of it uh, that I just did not excite me. And so once I stepped away from, you know, doing things outside of that sweet spot, I said, okay, this is what I'm looking for. I need a finance guy that understands capital markets and has scaled a business. And that's older than me. Corey's 10 years older than me. 
He scaled a business and he ran a family office for 12 years. And then I need a guy that is a negotiator, sharp. He's done real estate development, a little, a little more brash, you know, not as a relationship, you know, fo- so focused on relationships like, like I am. Somebody that will say, hey, this is the way it's going to be. And if it's not, we're moving on to the next thing. And just this unwavering confidence. And that's what I found in Parker. And I, I just knew when I met those two guys, they were already doing some projects together. Uh, I said, man, this is the missing puzzle piece. You know, this is what I need. And they were pulling me up. You know, they were making me think differently. They were saying, hey, we've got this $78 million development that we need to go raise equity on. What? Like, what? I didn't even think that was a possibility. You know what I mean? We didn't end up doing that deal. And I'm thankful that we didn't do that deal because the construction costs on them would be blowing our tails off right now. But at the end of the day, man, I found some guys that didn't have a cap on what was, you know, what was the opportunity, you know, and, and I just hadn't thought that big yet. And then they had said, hey, man, we'll, we'll go higher. We'll go do this. We'll go do that. We've done it before. I had not. And so I brought this pizzazz, this marketing, this, this, uh, this feel to the business. They brought uh, this, this actual operational background. And I said, man, I got to keep these guys close, you know, and we've got to be able to, to figure this out. So I just poured into that you know, as much as I could spent time building the relationship and, and gaining their trust. And, and that's kind of where we're at now. But I mean, in regards to finding partners, you know, it's hard to find partners if you are not around those partners on a regular basis. You know, people use this word partnership, you know, kind of loosely. And, uh, you know, being a part of a mastermind group is great. But if somebody's over in California, somebody's in New York City, one person has four kids, the other person's single, you know, if you have like this value that is off in that relationship, it's going to be very hard to see eye to eye. And what happened with Parker and Corey and myself was we always saw eye to eye, even though we all had different backgrounds, different experience levels, there was a trust and respect that everybody brought something different to the table uh, that we're able to kind of combine into one like you know, force of nature that's that's out there working on a regular basis. And that's just very rare. And uh, I always, I, I'm, I'm lightening myself to being kind of the, the gel that is able to see, you know, Corey's personality, Parker's, and how I kind of mold this thing together, because that's my top strength is individualization. And so, you know, I have that, you know, ingrained in me. I have no idea where that came from, but it's something I've tapped into and, and really done a lot of studying on and, and understanding and being able to to step back and see what every person needs, you know, ego is is got to be down and figure out how we continue to move forward on a regular basis is kind of my role in the in the company a little bit. And, and I, I, I liken that to being our one of the, the, the tendencies that has allowed us to be successful and work so well together. But it takes a lot of work and a lot of thinking on my end on, on a regular basis. Well, and one of the things you touched on that I think is so powerful is you knew yourself, right? You knew, you knew the, you, you had a self actualization of, Hey, these are the tangible skills that I have. I know that I'm, right. I need to align with somebody that does X, that somebody that's competent in, in Y, right. Yes. And has, you know, years, my senior has aptitudes that I don't have. Right. And I think that's such an important part when you're looking for partners or looking for folks that can deliver value and kind of your point around the masterminds and why I'm, you know, you know, I'm a little bit more leery of them than most because it, it really comes down to what's the actual value that the other party is providing, right? I mean, just even having the relationship with yourself or other folks that I've come into colloquially, it's yeah. just, you know, just, Hey, let me, let me shoot him a text real quick. Let me get a, let me get his take on this or whatever. Right. You know, and, totally. and like you said, you know, our lifestyles are similar. So we have kind of our experience and our, our thought process is more similar than when we're so far disparate, right? Just because yeah. we went to a retreat together on a weekend. So that's right. One thing I want to touch on real quick is you talk about scaling the business. And I think one thing that's so important that so many businesses get wrong is, is the branding and messaging and yeah. your ideal customer. So I know you guys have gone through a journey and, sure. <laughs> and, and, and you know, and, and I was kind of a part of that myself, you know, but so how did you get from when you had, you know, initially you guys were kind of taking more of a shotgun approach to, Hey, anybody that'll talk to us that likes real estate, that's interested, yep. let's bring them on board to now you guys are very consistent and thorough with the messaging and the theme. Right. How did you guys get from A to Z to, to that point now? Well, I think that it's always important to refine, you know, the message out there and, you know, I'm trying to model some successful companies, right? And one of them or two of them being, 
Ryan Smith with Elevation Capital Group. I mean, that dude is a monster, man. I mean, he's an ex-professional athlete. He's been doing real estate for 15 years, super contrarian on how frothy people are, are raising capital from people and, you know, was so, so conservative when he first raised his first $2 million to seeing what, where they're at now. It's just been incredible. So I try to take like that model of, okay, if everybody else is kind of just over here aggregating capital, doing this stuff and, and, you know, just, I probably don't want to be in that. And so I think that there's a, the distinction of, hey, we're real estate operators that need capital to grow, not capital that is looking for real estate operators. I think those are the businesses that own the keys to the, you know, to the kingdom a little bit, uh, because who has the power at the end of the day? You know this. You're talking about this every single every single day. Is hey, if you invest passively, dude, you have really no control over that deal. So you better be investing with the right people. And so, you know, I mean, frankly, I love being a, a GP because you know the five commandments of business: control, entry, need, time, and scale. Right? Five. You know, the five from the Millionaire's Fast Lane. The first one being control. You know, we have the control and that control is so, so important for us to, to continue to hold on to. So looking at it from, hey, I don't want to just be another group of capital that's looking for deals. I really like to be a private equity firm that understands how to allocate resources, not just in real estate, but private businesses. We take a family office approach. Brian Adams is crushing this right now. He was in Kansas City with me yesterday. He has always focused on building that type of feel, look, institutional quality, but ability to give that to, to your everyday retail investor. So that's the feel and look that we want to have. We're not going to be on TikTok. We're not going to be doing the, you know, the little the little pointies or or whatever that that's just not us. You know, if you want to get serious with some value add real estate in a market that somebody knows, give us a call. Like that's what we do. We're not trying to get outside of that. I do this. I do the media because I understand that to be successful in a growing business, you have to be known. But once you know somebody, you can get in like and trust, but like you have to be known. You know, we don't come from uh, the country club. We don't come from, you know, people that are funding our deal. So we got to get that out there, but we want that feel of a very professional buttoned up tight, you know, con, you know, really conservative, but also looking the part of a private equity firm. And I think you got to be very careful on that. And that's one thing I'm thinking about all the time, man, is how do we continue to, to do that? But it, it hinges on the principles, man, like uh, of the business, not the principles necessarily like Ray Dalio talks about, but the other principles spelled a different way is, you know, myself, Parker and Corey, so focused on growing, on understanding capital markets, on understanding economics. I can go to them and talk about John Maynard Keynes and Howard Marks and Charlie Munger. And the three minutes I spend with one of those guys from, hey, why it is the, the Fed selling their bond, you know, the little bond portfolio. And Corey goes, here's the four points you need to know. I don't have to go look for that stuff. And now it's ingrained in our business. So that's all kind of behind the scenes on what we're doing from an asset management standpoint. And that's why I think once you hear, once you talk to myself, Parker, Corey, we're not talking about the same things that most sponsors are talking about, you know, what are the three ways to, to raise capital? I, what, you know what I'm doing? I'm bringing actual deals and I'm focusing on that. I know everybody says, you know, you can't, you know, you can't just rely on deals to attract money, but in this market, if you've got really good deals and they're actually valued the right way and you you've got a track record, money is attracted to that right now. You know, that might shift in five, 10 years. I don't know. But I'll tell you what, man, being able to have conversations with people about uh, where the, the economy is, understanding uh, the asset management, the operations, hiring for that, people see that, they see the office, all of that feels very real to people. I think what has happened during COVID-19 is everybody's got really comfortable being on Zooms and, and all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, where do people want to invest in? They want to invest with people that have you know, a, a local presence. They got an office. They got people there. They're showing up. They're doing events in the community. They're ingrained in that. It just, I think, creates a different level of trust uh, with, with people. And so that's the message I'm trying to, to kind of say, look, there's a difference between being in the business of real estate investing, which is what I do, and being a real estate investor. And if you don't know the difference, then, hey, I'll tell you what the difference is. But every other sponsor out there that has got a great podcast that's raising capital, hey, 
keep doing it. You know, that's fine. But that's not my business. My business is to bring good deals, take them full cycle, put money back in your pocket and just continue to do it. So I think once we take that approach, that message uh, has changed, you know, kind of our conversations with people. And Parker is, uh, you know, they are allergic to, to marketing. Getting those guys to do anything is very difficult, uh, but I get to listen to them on a regular basis. And then I, that's the message you guys hear is what I'm hearing in the background all the time and then creating content around that. Because honestly, the really sophisticated investors, that's what they're talking about. Not all of the other, you know, what is NOI and, and all that stuff. Like, it's just good. You got to have that. And that's important. But like, not typically who we're talking to. Like most of the time I have first investor calls or something like that. People have already watched 15 podcasts. They've already uh, listened to compression. You know, I've had three calls this week where somebody said, hey man, uh, I'm super interested in, in doing some investing with you. I said, hey, we've, we've got this, this, and this coming up. We've got these things you can go check out. Let's stay in touch. But like that conversation has changed, you know, even from whenever we first touched base, like I'm not necessarily just out there trying to attract capital into the business. I'm trying to say, hey, this is why we are doing what we're doing. And uh, most of the time, we don't even talk about deals. And I, I show up and we start the webinar and, and I have a relationship with people I haven't talked to in four, five, six months. And, and it just, you know, it starts happening because of everything that we're doing from a messaging standpoint. I know that's a very roundabout way to answer that, but... Uh, I tried to I tried to bring it home there a little bit. Uh, well, I think one of the points you touched upon that I'll distill it down to is the control, right? Yeah. You know, are you are you a real estate investor? Or are you in the business of investing in real estate, right? And I think that's the biggest delineation that the majority of folks fall into is you know who really has the control, right? This deal goes south. Is the person you're investing with going to be able to right the ship, or are they going to just be you know screaming and yelling as it as it's going down, right? So exactly I think that right. that's the powerful part. So. All right. Well, this has been an amazing conversation, but let's uh, let's wrap up with the contrarian three pack. So let's do it, um, I know we talked about this one before, but uh, so what if there's one investment that comes to mind? Is there one that sticks out as more contrarian than another that you've made in your investing career? I, you know, I thought about this while we were going through the podcast and I still didn't know exactly what I was going to say. But as I've talked and we have been having this conversation, I invest in other people and uh, I'm sure many people have said they invest in themselves. That should be a given. But I invest in other people because leverage. If I know that the folks that are on my team are becoming better, they're going to treat our residents better. They're going to look at, at deals better. They're going to talk to sellers better. My principals at, at the company, everybody is, is getting invested into. That's going to rise everything else up. And as we were talking about being a coach and inspirer and advocate, that's those are my, my three archetypes. So it's, look, man, I, I think that it comes down to wanting to bring other people up from a level that I've been through, which is exciting, but also selfishly knowing that if they get better and my wife and I continue to get better, my family life's going to get better. If the people I'm working with get better, they're the business is going to be better. Uh, so I think it, I don't know if it's contrarian or not, but taking time, taking knowledge, packaging it in a way and spending that with, with other people would be my answer. No, I love that, man. First time, first time, first, first time investing in other people. So no, I, I love that. That's powerful. And, and obviously clear as to how you've been able to grow and scale what you have to date so far. So, so obviously we were talking a lot of business. I mean, you like the books, you like the podcast, you like yep. the personal development, but outside of business or personal development, what's your favorite thing to do with friends and family? Okay. Well, I love going on walks, man. I love getting outside and really taking the kiddos uh, for walks. And my wife loves the pool. So we spend a lot of time around the pool, which I spend time with the books when we're at the pool. Uh, but at the end of the day, I love to shoot guns. I love to hit a golf club, even though I'm terrible. I love to do weird things like, you know, cooking certain things that I get obsessed with. And so I think it's just, I'm a, I think I'm a dilettante when it comes to that. I get obsessed with things and then I want to go deep in them and then I kind of move on to the next one. But anything that I can stay active on, keep my body moving, create energy. I chase, you know how we always talk about dollars or chasing yield. I'm chasing energy. I'm chasing that joy where I lose sense of time and I don't think about what I'm trying to do next. And when you can get in that space, I mean, that's when life becomes art. And so every moment of every day, I'm trying to figure out 
how can I create art with the people that I'm at and what I'm doing right then? So it could be a lot of different things. You know, chasing my two kids is a lot of what I, I do on a regular basis, but we love going outside. I love seeing her find new things and say, it's a big truck, you know, all the, all that kind of stuff. It's just so much fun. Honestly, I have less time, you know, you know, to myself than I would, I would probably like at this point, but that's okay. But getting outside, staying active, chasing that yield for uh, joy, where I lose that sense of time and just loving life is, is, is my, my greatest passion, man. Oh man. Chasing energy. That's powerful. I, yeah. I love that. That is, that is powerful, right? What's more, I mean, yeah, energy. So I don't know, man, that's, that's awesome. I'm, I'm stealing that. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then ultimately what, what offers you the most fulfillment in life? Well, you know, I'm an achievement based guy. And so, you know, I love to achieve, but what offers me, I think the most, you know, what, what's the best ROI on what I do is, Knowing that my wife feels fulfilled, my children are being poured into, and I'm helping somebody else. You know, and I say that because, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. I've done a lot with what I've been given, but I, I've been given a lot. You know, I, I'm here. I'm in the United States. I'm a half white male. You know, I'm in Kansas City. I have a house, all of that stuff. I feel like in my inside of my soul that I've, I've got an obligation, uh, a duty to do something right and pass that along to people who maybe did not. So that brings me so much joy, knowing that other people that are spending time with me feel like they're living a life fulfilled. Dude, that just raises you up, man. And, and that's, again, chasing that energy. I love it. I love it, man. Well, this has been this has been extremely motivating and inspiring. And I know, I guess I'll just have to recommend to the audience before this, you know, they've got to get all hyped up and maybe go on a run or, you know, get into, get into the gym and start banging some yeah. iron, right. You know, get up, get up and get going, you know, chasing that energy, baby. So, yeah. uh, well, Logan, what's the best way the, the listeners can get in touch with you out there? Oh, super active on LinkedIn. So Logan Freeman on LinkedIn, our website is FTW investments, LLC.com. So uh, that's the best way. There's plenty of pop-ups that will uh, annoy you until you put your email in there for you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and check out the compression podcast. Yes. You got to check out the compression podcast. So it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's hard hitting stuff. So, all right, man. Well, well, thank you so much. I appreciate the time as always. This was a blast and, and really appreciative of you taking the time to sit down. Yeah. I appreciate you, man. You are unlike many people that I know. And, uh, you know, I kind of wish you were in Kansas City a lot of the times, but that's okay. We're going to stay. <laughs> yeah, soon enough, soon enough. Until next time, live fulfilled. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.